gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates Hello and welcome back to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by under a gaslitlamp.com. Uh, we're recording this directly after Aston Villa's two-all draw with Manchester United, and it was a decent game. I, I do think that Villa could have come away um, winners, but I think you know a point against Manchester United, despite the fact they're not the team that they were in yesteryear, is a good result. What do you think, Mark? Um, I'm absolutely elated with it. I thought that a, a, a draw was a fair comparison of the game. I think that Villa had their chances. I think Manchester United had their chances. Uh, coming into this, I was I was just really, really optimistic about it, just getting something from this game. So I'm happy they came away with the draw. Yeah, obviously post-win uh, from Newcastle on Monday. And then you know Villa travelled to the Theatre of Dreams for the first time since 2016. Um, and... Uh, the, the, the really the opening minute was was what well, set the set the game really. It took just forty six seconds for Jack Grealish to be fouled, um, and you know, it. I think he was averaging um, a foul every twenty two minutes, and he'd been fouled been fouled three times before before the fifteen minute mark had even uh, elapsed. Yeah, you can't take him down. You can only just hope to try to contain him. So I think that like. Jack Grealish, just as a player, we know what he all brings me in Villa fans. But maybe for some of those fans uh, that watch football that don't know what Jack Grealish is all about, that haven't got a chance to actually watch him in a game, this is exactly what he can do. He can just cause some problems. He can run at players. He can run at players, and then the players have no idea what to do with him and have no idea how to attack the ball that's at his feet. So I think that Jack Grealish's uh, performance today against Manchester United, I think that was the absolute 100% lexicon of what Jack Grealish is about. It was a real pleasure to watch, very entertaining stuff, but he he also did some things out there that I, I really think that a lot of other people may have turned their heads and be like, oh, maybe this guy's actually for real. This isn't just a superstar player that that is on a team that just got promoted to the Premier League. Yeah, and that that thing that you're talking about is his, uh, is his goal. You know, it's one of the goals of the season. Only eleven minutes in, and you know El Ghazi overhits across that uh, you know, misses Wesley, and it finds Jack on the left hand side of the box, and he kind of weaves, takes a couple of touches, and sets himself before curling it into the top right corner past David de Gea. It was a really, really beautiful goal, and you know we, we've seen the the wonder volleys, we've seen the. Um, you know we've seen we've seen the intricate passing um where he finishes off at the end but we've not so, we're not seen a, a a proper goal with so much technique behind it from Jack yet and and you know he, he opened that book uh almost quite abruptly yeah, for me, it's a world-class strike. I mean, he, he does exactly what you expect Jack Grealish to do if you're an Aston Villa supporter. He's coming off the left. He takes his man one-on-one. He takes a couple uh, touches, and then he puts a far corner top post. And we know that Jackie doesn't really score a lot, but when he does score, they're usually magical moments of sorts. So for me, like I thought this was a really, really top-shelf goal. And I, I try to put bias between my actual opinion because I'm obviously a Villa supporter and actual just football. But for me, that was a really, really 
really nice goal. And I think it, it can't be understated. I mean, I was I was just down at the pub watching it with probably anywhere from 40 to maybe 55 different people. And there were people from different clubs that just turned around and looked at me because it was only me and my buddy Adam in the pub. But they looked at it. They were like, that that's a world-class goal. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's what he's about. Everyone thinks he just dives to the floor. But, you know, he has moments of brilliant like this. So I really, really love the goal. I think it showed how much this meant to Jack. I think that, I mean, he's he's not a he's not that kind of guy who doesn't read social media like he has social media you know that he reads some of the opinions I'm sure he knew that you know Villa didn't have the best time at Old Trafford in the past 10 years so I think he wanted to go out there and prove himself and what better to do that than a goal like that Regan yeah absolutely he he kind of announced himself on an international stage you know because Man Man United are are a global club you know they're They've got such huge swathes of support across the world. Um, so, you know, there's going to be people in India, there's going to be people in Africa, there's going to be people all over the place that will have been watching this game. And within the first 11, 12 minutes, Jack Grealish has scored one of the goals of the season. I think it has to be up there for a goal of the season. I was talking to a couple other people and they said it was a really nice goal, but it might not have been that worthy of like a goal of the season kind of, uh, you know, a claim. But for me, I really do think it is. I mean, it's almost, I mean, Villa played really, really well up until that point. I thought Villa tried to take the game to Manchester United, which I was really happy to see because I never want to see any team I support just sit behind and be really, really defensive. So for me, for uh, the timing of the Jack goal and the fashion that he scored it, it, it just really gave me a lot of promise for the rest of the game. And I think you're right. You know, Manchester United does have worldwide acclaim. They have supporters all over the globe. Every corner you can think of, there's somebody that loves Manchester United for one reason or another. But the same point, in fact, is that you have Jack Grealish now making a goal like this. And not only just the goal, but the way he played throughout the entire 90 minutes, it makes people's heads turn and be like, oh, really? Is that, that's, he plays for Aston Villa. Well, yeah, he plays for Aston Villa. He's one of our own. And it just shows what kind of players we have here. We're not just a fledgling side that came up from the championship that doesn't have skill within their ranks. Yeah, and... You know, whilst whilst the goal was absolutely brilliant, it did come with a negative side to it. Um, when Anwar played the cross, he he, it looks like he almost like sits on his on his uh, kicking leg um, as he goes down, and I think I think he's hurt his knee doing that, and he you know he's forced off with a self inflicted injury basically, and uh, Trezeguet has to come into the throw. Yeah, you never want to see that, especially with El Ghazi, because uh, we've talked about it in previous podcast episodes as well, that El Ghazi seems to be the kind of player that when he hits a, an actual purple patch of form, that he's going to keep going forward with that form. So I think it was very unfortunate for him to be injured. Um, not only that, but um, uh, we have to talk about the fact, even though, I mean, it's, it goes a little bit against how we're doing this, a, a time frame podcast, but uh, it worries me a little bit with the right back situation of Gilbert being suspended. I mean, how, how do you think Villa's going to cope with that? Do you think they're going to be able to cope with that because we're, we're a little light in those areas so how are they going to adjust to going up against Chelsea and then Leicester um it's it's probably going to be a case of of having um having Al Mohammadi there um and if not that maybe maybe Courtney Hawes but he, I'm not too sure about that um I think it's a case of wait and see, but Gilbert has been a standout player really for for Villa um, this season. And you know, despite the fact that he was signed to play in the Championship, he's he's definitely showing himself as a very very adept Premier League player. 
Yeah, I think Gobert's been amazing, and I know a lot of people aren't still big on him. They think he's just forward-thinking, but I think you saw today against Manchester United that he he can be really adept defensively as well. I mean, he was making slide tackles on some of the United players to clear the ball out for a throw-in. It's almost like he picked his spots uh, whenever he wanted to go forward, whenever he wanted to come back. I think it was a really, really good game from Gobert all the way around, and you know, maybe for some of the United supporters that I saw today, they weren't expecting that from Villa. They expected us to sit 11 behind the ball the entire time but when you have players like Gobert in the squad they just open up that entire different tactical approach to be able to get the ball forward or even to help the midfield out and just give them a little bit of an exit strategy if they start to get collapsed upon so I mean I I do like Gilbert a lot I think he's going to be a big miss for the Chelsea game yeah and it's it's a shame that he picked up his booking um you know, we've skipped most of the first half here, but it's a shame that he skipped. Um, he he picked up his book in in the last minute of added time in the first half. You know, if if if, if you know there was a minute less of added time, two minutes less of added time, we'd still have Gilbert for the Chelsea game. No, it's true. You'd still have him. I just think that that's the kind of style he plays at. And But he's still that kind of player, though, that whenever he does get cautioned, I don't feel nervous about it. There's some players, whenever they might get a talking to from a ref a couple times or maybe they get the yellow card, that you start feeling really nervous. In the case of Gilbert, I just never felt that way. I don't know if, if that's just him knowing that he's got to be a little bit cleaner on his tackles or a little bit smarter in how he approaches things. But for me, I, n- I never see him on a yellow card and think, okay, well, here, here, comes a, here comes a second yellow to a red. And that that's going to be the the end of, uh, of his night. I I I just never think about that. Uh, I just think that he's one of those players who is so just mentally prepared for what he has to do, no matter who the opposition is. I I think he's a wonderful addition to Aston Villa. I think that he has been for a while, and yeah, he was signed to be in the championship. But at the same point in time, like with Villa getting promoted, you're gonna have you're going to have that kind of feeling of, okay, now I got to step my game up. And Gilbert has, has proven, at least in my eyes, that that he's done that so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, turning turning the clocks back a little bit, um, it was end to end stuff. Uh, the the first period of the first half, and really Tom Heaton wasn't tested until the twenty first minute, and that was a routine save even then. Um, the twenty third minute saw uh, Jack Grealish felled for the fourth time in that game, and the fiftieth time this season. Um, and Jack was involved with. You know the game for the entire first half, really. You know, Villa thought that they'd scored the second of the game in the 29th as Trezeguet bundled the ball into the net after a bit of a defensive mix-up from Manchester United. Um, but Grealish was adjudged to have been just offside. It was it was like a trailing leg that was uh, was seen as offside in the build-up. Yeah, I wanted that goal to happen so bad. I think if you go up 2-0, you probably see Villa come away with all three points in this game. I think it just kind of buries their confidence a little bit, and I think United really doesn't have much to say about it. Um, I thought Trezeguet played well coming in for El Ghazi. I, I think that if you have a player like El Ghazi going off and then you have a player like Trezeguet coming onto the pitch, I think that's super positive. I think that shows the depth that Villa actually do have. And, yeah, we just talked about the little bit of uh, depth problems they may have for the next game. But at the same point in time, Trez played really well. I was really happy with his performance. What 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 did you think about him coming on? Did you feel uneasy about El Ghazi, or did did you think that he might be able to slot in and everything was going to be okay? I thought it'd be okay. You know, um, he was dropped last last game against Newcastle. Um, 
which you know worked worked out. El Ghazi scored, but um, before those games, he scored in back to back games, and you know I I feel like uh, like Trezeguet has has kind of settled in England now, um, and a lot of our players are starting to settle in England and the Premier League. Um, so yeah, I was I was absolutely fine with with Trezeguet coming on. Um, I, w- I would have been more confident with Trezeguet coming on than let's say uh, Jota after after his injury. Yeah, I felt the same thing. I, I really do fancy Trezeguet as a player. I, th- I think that he has a little bit in his locker, that little bit of unpredictability. But he's also shown over the past number of games now, whenever he is included in the starting 11, that he can also get back defensively. And I think with the front three of United, you kind of needed that. And Trezeguet did do his bits defensively as well. He wasn't just forward thinking. So I I love to see that. It really seems like the team's starting to hit a, hit a spurt of actually gelling together and actually working together. And they know what the strengths and weaknesses of each player are. So long may that continue. I just, I just really love seeing it. I think there's there's a lot of a lot of positives to take from this Manchester United result. Yeah, absolutely. But the, you know, the, there were a couple of uh, you know, I don't want to say shocking, but unfortunate moments. Um, Manchester United equalised towards the end of the first half after a bit of a kerfuffle between Tom Heaton and, and Tyra Mings. Um, neither of them really decided who. Who was going for the ball, and uh, Heaton ends up sliding the ball out for a corner five minutes before the end of the first half. Um, they play that short, and the Pereira whips the ball into the back post, where Marcus Rashford is there to head it. Um, the ball—I I don't want to say it's lucky, you know. I think I think there there is a slight favour um, or favourable. Hit off the post there, and then an even more favourable po- uh, hit off the off the back of Tom Heaton. It, it it's a goal that you know you kind of expect to concede, but you know to hit off the woodwork and then the goalkeeper. Um, I think it was actually chalked down as a hit and own goal. Um, it is slightly unfortunate. It is unfortunate, and I, I really felt that United was probably going to level the game at you know right before this happened. They were just starting to put on a little bit more pressure. They started to understand what Villa were trying to do. Um, we were pressing high up the pitch, and they decided that they wanted to kind of spray, uh, I, I guess not long-range balls, but kind of like mid-range balls to their wingers. Uh, and then cross into the midfield, uh, pass the ball into the midfield rather, and then, and then try to get it forward. And that was working for brief moments of, of like towards the end of the, of the first half. But I mean, the the goal from Rashford for me, like it is it. You don't want to say it when it comes to a team like Manchester United, and we've talked about the fact that Manchester United aren't the same club as they were yesteryear, but I do feel like there was a little bit of an air of luck involved in that. Uh, the same point in time of, I, you know, it, Maybe I don't want to say it was slack defending. It was just unfortunate defending. I, 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 you know, I've watched back on that goal a couple times now, and I think that you know the defense was doing what they had to do to cover that kind of opportunity. But it was just that Ratchford made just a very, very brief cut on the ball and the way it landed to him. So it was unfortunate to see Aston Villa concede one of those types of goals. But again, you're playing a Manchester United squad who are very talented, regardless of, you know, what people say about them and all the media stuff about them. They do have a lot of talent and a lot of quality in their side. So, it, you know, giving up a goal like that, it, it just happens and you kind of got to shake it off and just keep moving forward. Yeah, it's Tyrone Mings that's playing Rashford on side. He would have been off had uh, Mings had dropped uh, a bit higher. Um, dropped a bit higher. That's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Um, 
but yeah, concert kind of waves for the for the the flag to go up. But it, it's Mings that's playing him on side. So the, there is an air of fortune there, but you know there, there was a lot of pressure from Man United leading up to that game. So they, I guess they deserve uh, leading up to that goal. Sorry. So I guess they deserved that. Um, the last real major moment in the first half was from Trezeguet who uh, finds himself working working pretty well to get the ball into the box. He looks like he's run out of steam, and he just absolutely pelts this ball towards goal, and it thunders off the crossbar. Uh, I thought for a brief moment in time, man, a brief, brief moment in time, I thought that goal was going in. Um, I, or the ball was going in, rather. I just really, I just like Trez when he does that kind of stuff, them little individual moments of brilliance wherever he gets forward. And, you know, sometimes he has a shot and it skies over the top of the crossbar. Sometimes he hits it right into the center of the, of the uh, goalkeeper. But for me, I really felt like he, he might have had a chance here. But I love to see that, especially in a substitute capacity where, you know, he wasn't, he, he was dropped. And you can say he, he could have been dropped. He could have been dropped against Newcastle the previous game. But I really like the fact that he came out and he, he showed a little bit of uh, due diligence for himself to want to impact the game. And it's just, I think it's just really unfortunate that it thundered off the crossbar the way it did. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things in hindsight, you know, maybe a little bit less power and that, that's that's nestling in the top right, exactly where Jax went. Obviously, Trezeguet's shot came from a different angle. But um, yeah, the, the second half started very, very lax. There was really not much to talk about in the opening um, eight or so minutes. Uh, both sides were getting forward, but they offered very little in terms of chances. Um, United had a shape for a penalty. Uh, I think around ten or eleven minutes after the start of the second half, as Juan Mata uh, fell over in the box. Uh, it looked like looked like Gilbert had, had taken him down, but the the referee waived any uh, penalty claims away. Yeah, I didn't think it was a penalty. I think it was Manchester United looking for something that they were never going to get at the end of the day. Um, I, I thought the referee on the field did a really, really good job. But at the same point in time, I thought the VARF did a really good job with some of the decisions in this game as well. Um, I, I just think that that's kind of United's mo is whenever they don't know what to do, they just run into the box and try to fall over or try to, you know, any other tug or you know work around that the defense might be doing. I think United players kind of go to the ground a little easy. Um, I'm not saying that's reality. I'm just saying that's my opinion. I've, I've watched more than a few United games this season, but um, yeah, I didn't think for a second that Gilbert, you know, gave up a penalty in any which way. No, not at all. Um, and then. You know, the next pretty big moment in the game was was Jack Grealish again, and he nearly had the opportunity for a second goal. Um, Trezeguet kind of works his way into a more central position outside of the wing, um, and plays like an outside of boot pass towards the back post, uh, and Jack slides in and gets a touch of the ball, but it just, you know, just skints uh, wide of the post. Um, and you know, Villa fans were left kind of like ruining the fact that Grealish had missed that chance because literally a couple of minutes later, um, it was it was you know the same old you know we we all thought like oh here we go we've we've gone up in a game and now now we're we're going to lose it. Um, I can't remember who played the ball into the box. It might have been Pereira again. Um, played a ball into the box and Wesley uh, tried to head it clear. Uh, the, his, his header doesn't really make the right kind of contact and it ends up going towards the back for, back post for Lindelof to head in uh, looping his header over Tom Eaton 
Yeah, it's unfortunate about Wesley because I really think that he was doing all he could to stop that from happening. I mean, obviously, I don't think he knew that once he got a touch on the ball that it was going to fall on a plate. Um, but at the same point in time, I like that from my striker, especially a big-body striker, to get his head up. I saw a lot of people really slagging Wesley off on social media. I'm, I'm not about that. I, I think he had no other discourse in, in this situation. He had to try to get high. He, try, he had to try to get something on the ball to stop it from coming in. If you look at his position on the field, he had to do something. There, you're not, I don't want a striker that's just going to stand there and let a free kick come in if they have a height advantage. Wesley does have a height advantage. He has a height advantage almost every single time, no matter who he plays against. So I, I think that he needed to do that, but I, I don't I don't look at him like he's the one to blame for this goal going in the back of the net. I, I, I don't know. What, what, what do you think about it? I think, you know, he could have done better. But, you know, if he doesn't get his head to that ball, it's likely going to go to Lindelof or someone else anyway. Um, so you, you can't really blame him for the goal, but you, you can kind of say that he, he, he could do better. But up to that point, you know, and for the entire game, I, I was relatively impressed with Wesley. You know, he tracked back if he lost the ball, won the ball back a couple of times, um, you know, felled a couple of the Manchester United players, really showed them who he was. And uh, he made some he made some decent passes. I do think he needs to work on his touch um, you know, a couple of a couple of deft touches, uh, once or twice in the game. But I think I think other than that, he he had decent game. I can agree with that, and I I will be the first one to stand up and say that I think his first touch is borderline shocking. Most of the time, I think that's because he's not used to players that actually give him service in a, in an actual talentful way. Um, so I I think that it's easy to look at this instance wherever he got ahead to a a free kick in a defensive aspect, and it happened to fall to to a player that scores and all that kind of thing. But I think with the whole of his game all the way around, I thought I do think he's getting better. I keep saying it, I keep banging on about it, but I really really do think. He's getting better. Um, it, it's um, again, he's not going to come out of nowhere and score 25, 30 goals. I don't think he's that kind of a player. But I do think that you know the small things in the build-up, like you said, tracking back. There's a point in time he got dispossessed by Fred, and he almost ran 20, 25 yards to get that ball back off Fred, and he does. And then he gets it to a fullback, and then Villa on the counter attack that quick. So if that's the kind of player that Wesley wants to be, or that's the kind of player that maybe Dean Smith envisions Wesley to be, I'm all about it. At the same point in time, I just don't think you can really. I think I, the him having putting his head on the ball for that kind of goal, I don't think you can blame him for that. I think he was just trying to get involved and trying to stop something from happening. Yeah, of course. Um, it, it it was Aston Villa's uh, other tall behemoth that uh, that had the next major role to play in the game, um, and you know it was almost directly after. Manchester United's goal that put them ahead. Uh, Villa won a corner and the corner found its way to Matt Target who flicked a ball over the Manchester United defence and found Tyrone Mings who looked to be offside but was being played onside by a trailing Brandon Williams and uh, you know Mings absolutely wellies this scissor kick past De Gea. It's an absolutely outstanding goal for his first Premier League goal. Oh, just an amazing goal, but I'll, I'll be honest, and I don't know if maybe you felt the same way. Whenever that goal hits the back of the net, I didn't celebrate, and it was because I thought it was offsides, and you know, VAR is a real thing in 2019, so I kind of had to wait, but like you look back on that goal, that was a world-class finish for Mings, and you know, yeah, he was being played onside, but in real time, as the goal happens, did not think for a second that he was onside because he was so open. He was, he was in acres of space all around him. Um, I wasn't expecting that kind of a finish from a man with Tyron Mings' physique, 
But hey, prove me wrong, and and you know it, it, it's a goal for Villa, and it's a big, big goal at a big, big time for Villa as well. I mean, yeah, like looking at um, looking at the the, the actual goal, um, you know, it, it's clear that Manchester United are attempting to kind of spring an offside trap, um, and it's it's the inexperience of Williams really that I, I guess I guess lets Villa back into the game here. Um, I think you know. Target does well to play to play that kind of peach of a ball, but Mings does even better to to get to the end of it. Um, I want to I want to pick up on something, and it's about a Villa player that I thought has has kind of been a bit of a ghost in the last couple of games, and that's John McGinn. Um, you know, he's he's so fondly thought of by by everyone here at Under a Gaslit Lamp and at the club, um, but I think in the last. Mm, Three games, uh, yeah. Let's say United, Newcastle, and uh, Wolves. He's he's been barely about the pitch, um, to to the point where you know in, in a lot of games you, you can't help but notice McGinn. Um, but this time around, he well, this, not just this time, this time around, and the last couple of times, he's just been quiet and you know. You you can expect that from players, but it, it's just a bit out of the ordinary for McGinn. Yeah, and I don't I don't know where it really stems from. I don't know where the problem really lies. And I mean, even calling it a problem seems like I'm being disrespectful to John McGinn and his ability. I just think that there's something there that um, it's it's so strange to see him, especially today against Manchester United. You see him with the ball at his feet. It seems like he wants to just get rid of it as soon as possible. Like he just he doesn't want anything to do with it. I don't know if there's maybe I don't know if the paper talks getting to him. I don't know if he just has that much faith in the rest of his teammates that they're going to do the things that he felt he had to do earlier on in the season. Um, it, it could it could be a, a panoply of different things, but for me, I I just think that it, it's teams maybe because of how. He's written about in the media and the things of, oh, he's going to go here, this team's interested, or all those different kind of crazy media paper talk things. Maybe he's getting down on himself a little bit because other teams are now being like, okay, well, if you play Villa, you better watch out for John McGinn. You contain John McGinn, you'll be able to contain Aston Villa. So I don't know if it's one of those things where he's getting collapsed upon a little bit more. People aren't affording him the time to move forward. It's almost like the best-kept secret in the Premier League is not a secret so much anymore. So that that's where I stand on it. But I I'm not, I'm not even sure that that's it. I think he might just be having a slump in form, and that happens. Every player does that. It doesn't matter how great you are or how mediocre you are. You're going to have a dip in form at some point. I just really – I'm hoping that he works out of it soon because we need John again. We know what he's capable of. We know what he brings going forward and defensively. Uh, not to mention he, he's got a goal at any moment in time if that ball falls in the right way. So, I mean, I don't really know what to make of it, but you're not wrong. I mean, you're not wrong in saying that he's had a pretty lackluster past three games now. Yeah, and I, I saw a um, a video by by Tifo Football. Um, I think it was earlier last week. It might have been just before the Newcastle game or just after the Newcastle game. And they call McGinn a bit of a footballing unicorn because for a uh, centre mid, he doesn't really pass much. He doesn't really get many touches of the ball, but he has such an impact on the game regardless um i think he's our our best dribbler in terms of in terms of uh, dribbles forward uh, that are successful but it's just yeah i don't know what to put it down to but i'm just hoping he kind of gets out of this rut sooner rather than later um 
let's get back on to the Manchester United game though. Um and you know, really Marshall should have buried the game for for United in the seventy eighth. Uh, you know, there was a bit of a bit of a scuffle in the box, a uh, bit of a scramble, and uh the ball falls to Marshall right like practically on the goal line and he fires over from literally you know a couple of yards out um i think he's trying to to chip the ball to stop any potential knee knees or or legs blocking his shot but ends up just scooping it over the bar yeah, it was a little shocking to me to see Anthony Martial throw this ball over the top, of, you know, of the net. I do think he's a really, really good talent for Manchester United. I think he's going to be for the next couple of years still. I think he has all the talent that you could ever want in a player that plays that position for United. It, I don't know. I wasn't expecting that. And like you said, it was a scramble. It was a gold mile scramble, basically. It was like whoever. It, I felt that whoever got their foot on that ball was either getting cleared or for a goal. I wasn't expecting Martial to put his foot on it, and I definitely wasn't expecting him to scoop it over the top of the net. I mean, I'm about as out of shape as you can get and I feel like I might have been able to score that goal Regan honest to god (laughs) I mean I'd say the same but I mean I played football for the first time in probably about 10 years on Thursday and it was it was an awful experience um and then really from from that point onwards um you know there were a couple of set pieces from from each side um Maguire had a had a header on goal uh, that was cleared off the line by Tyrone Mings, but Maguire was a judge to a felled concert in getting to the ball. Um, but other than that, you know, both sides were trying to gun for for one last chance, one last goal, and it didn't really come for either of them. Um, so, I, th- I think you know it was a good performance all round. I think we could have come away with something more. I think Jack could have probably been a little. Uh, louder in the way he was playing in the second half if he had matched his first half performance in the second I think we'd have won I think he kind of withdrew a little bit um but other than that I'm I'm happy with the point yeah I'm, I'm super happy with the point as I said at the beginning I, I think it's it's a really really good point to go into the next two games against Chelsea and Leicester uh, both of those teams are, are not rollover teams it, it, uh, I mean, you, you just see how well both those teams are playing this season. You see where Villa's at in the table. It's no disrespect to Villa. Everybody knows I love the Villa with everything I've got. At the same point in time, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Villa has a tough time against these teams. But at the same point in time, Chelsea's got one win in their last five now. They just lost against West Ham. They had a slew of, of opportunities in that game to get a goal. Uh, Olivier Giroud up top was not doing much for Chelsea. Uh, is T- is Tammy Abraham going to be healthy for it? Is he not going to be healthy for it? I think that's a really big thing. I think if Tammy is sidelined again, I really, really do believe that it, it gives Villa a much, much better chance against Chelsea midweek. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea are one of those sides that are also going through a bit of a, a transformation, a bit like Man United, which gives Villa more of an opportunity to get something from that game. Um, you know, it's... If if Tammy's missing, you know I don't want Tammy to come back to haunt us. But if Tammy's missing, um, we've got more of a chance. They still have a lot of talent in the forward areas. You know they've got William, uh, Christian Pulisic, um, someone that you'll probably be very fond of because he's American. Um, oh yeah, you know, and they they have some decent defenders as well. But they have defenders that can make mistakes. Um, 
The thing that I'm really quite interested in is that uh, Dean Smith has beaten Frank Lampard three times um, within the last just well, no, actually within the last twelve months. Um, it's it'll be just over a year um, by about three or four weeks when uh, Villa and Chelsea meet on Wednesday, um, and I, I really I'm really backing Dean to make it four 0 against Lampard. I am too, um, and it's it's not going to be. I don't think it's a pretty game by by any stretch of the imagination. You just talked about some of the weapons that Chelsea has at their disposal. I think with Christian Pulisic, obviously, I've been watching that kid play for a very long time now. Um, for me, he's not just a kid that just popped out of nowhere, went to Borussia Dortmund, and all of a sudden got transferred to Chelsea for a large sum of money. I know what Christian Pulisic's all about personally, and I know that he's going to want to. He he just he wants to play all the time. And if he is able to play all the time, he's going to reward you with that. So I think the the toughness of the uh, beginning stages of the season where he was dropped out of the squad or maybe on the bench but never utilized coming off the bench, that's only going to stoke that fire for Christian Pulisic. Um, I've seen him do it so many times, and I, I really honestly mean this. Like th- um, Every time that he gets maybe uh, you know kicked down a little bit, he comes back stronger than ever. Um, so I, I just think Chelsea has a lot to... They have a lot of attacking impetus, and yeah, they're fifth on the table. Villa are where Villa are on the table and everything, but I I do believe that Dean Smith might have Frank Lampard's number. That's just something that I may think might actually be a thing, Um, especially after the loss of West Ham, because you're going to start getting pressure on the players and the the gaffer himself with Frankie, so I don't know. I think Villa can can beat Chelsea, but at the same point in time, I don't think it's going to be like a game you saw against Manchester United today, where it was kind of like... Both sides were trading back and forth. I, I think it's going to be really, really ticky-tacky. I think you're going to see some yellow cards. I think you're going to see some nasty tackles. You may even see a red card with 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 how these both these teams play because they're vying for space all the time. I mean, I, I don't know. Do, do you think that do you think that this is a game that Villa might be actually able to salvage a draw or actually be able to get three points in? <laughs> I thought you were I thought you were saying that it was a ticky-tacky game. Then you know, lots of passing, but. Um... Uh, so that no, might be I my think... American coming through saying "ticky tacky," so it's like real, <laughs> real, a little bit rough, a little bit rough around the edges. Yeah, I think I think that'll be the case, and I think you know it's going to be no means uh, an emphatic win for Villa if they do grab one. I think it'll be a bit of a smash and grab, um, but yeah, I do think that that Villa can get some from this game, and I'm I'm predicting a one nil win. See, I I would really like the one nil win. I I. I, I don't know. I just, I, I've thought about this game for the past week. I wasn't looking past Man United or anything like that, but it's the whole younger squad, transfer ban, young players coming up. We've got some experience in our side. It may not be much, but we have some experience in our side. Uh, I just, I, I watched Chelsea create so many chances. It was almost like they were playing football manager and put work ball into the box on, and it just didn't come off. They would have wonderful crosses. They would hit a player in the chest and it would go out for you know for a goal kick for the opposition. It's just so many things, and I'm sitting there watching again. Like this doesn't look like Chelsea. It looks like they're not they're not having a good time out there with actually cashing in on their chances. And if the, if the same thing happens against Villa, I think Villa can punish them. So for me, uh, the prediction Chelsea midweek. I'm thinking it's going to be two nil. I would love Villa to win two nil. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if if they come out and they still have these same shortcomings they had against West Ham, they're in for trouble i really think our midfield can take control of that shortcoming and actually win this game yeah i mean i think i think it depends on a number of things um 
but you know they have i mean so do we but they have a number of players that that can that can make mistakes and that's something that we need to capitalize on when we face chelsea um but you know i think we've shown that we're, we're not just going to roll over in 98% of games this season um so i am i am expecting a, a really good game on wednesday Right, and you look back at some of the results we we have had this season. You know, maybe we're starting to get to the point in the season now. We're starting to get in the thick of it. We're starting to get into the Christmas period. And uh, I, it looked to me, at least, especially today, that Villa actually learned from the problems they might have had. You know, at, at Tottenham and against Arsenal. I think that these are all. It's starting to click. It's starting to actually stick. You know what I mean? So I, going against a team like Chelsea, I don't think Villa gets you know anywhere near shaken by the fact that Chelsea are sitting fifth on the table going into this game. I think. It's more of a hey, okay, yeah, we don't care about the position of where they are. We know the strengths of our game. We know the weaknesses of our game. Let's cover those up. Even if we got a paper over the cracks a little bit, and let's actually take the you know take the game to a team that has the ability. And we all know Chelsea, even with the transfer ban, even with the youngsters, they still have a lot of quality in their team. But I, I just think if, if if Chelsea runs into the same problems that they had against West Ham, I think I think Villa has everything in their locker to be able to get three points on the day. And I think that is probably the best place to end this week's podcast. Um, what what better way to end a podcast than with three points? Eh? Um, if you've enjoyed it, please give us a review, a like, a comment on whatever platform that you're listening on. We are available on all podcast platforms. If you are listening on a platform that isn't your usual one, um, you can follow us on Twitter at Villalamp on Facebook under a gaslit lamp on instagram under a gaslit lamp and you can keep up to date with all the latest news opinion and everything else on under a gaslit thank you for listening and up the villa